reception and the invitation to be in Spokane Valley. Is it always this nice here or are you just showing off? Is it always this nice? This is beautiful. I'm so thankful to be here and it's good to see familiar faces and friends. letter to the Romans, chapter 8, we'll read three verses there, and then if you would also turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and verse 15, we'll read a few verses there. those who love God and are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Conformed to the image of his son. Why? That he Lord may be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and those whom he called, them he justified, and them whom he called, he did also justified, glorified. They're all past tense verbs. And I'm not sure how you feel this morning. I don't always feel justified. And I certainly don't feel glorified. And yet, the word of God stands glorified. 2 Corinthians 3 and 15. We'll read through to verse 18. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, there is a veil upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, 
there is liberty. But we all, with open face beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed from glory to glory. I want to emphasize we all with open face, that is, with unveiled faces, are changed into the same image of the glory of the Lord. I would like to use this title. It may take a while for you to understand where I'm coming from, but I'm borrowing a, a title of a particular book. I don't really know what the book has to say, but I like the title. Until we have faces. Until we have faces. If you would pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful morning. And thank you for this beautiful gathering of your people. I pray that everything that is said here today would only be true that it would only bring you glory and honor and that it would only edify your people. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. These passages of scripture that we've read for our text are of a piece with other passages of scripture scattered through the Pauline corpus, the works of the Apostle Paul. Paul cannot hardly speak for very long without coming back to this same theme and the same kind of imagery over and over. In Galatians 3, he says, you have died, your life is hid in God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Romans 13, put on Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Put on Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are made new. We're talking here about being conformed to an image that is not our own. We are putting on something that we are not presently but shall be. At the climax of most of Paul's letters, he, he strikes this chord, this chord. I would like to speak about the mask of the Son of God that we are to put on. Um, our world is, uh, a particular, particularly our culture, is one of um, 
a kind of um, herd mentality rebellion. If you can understand my oxymoron. Um, um, all uh, independent minds thinking together. Um, I have no more paradoxes, I suppose, to illustrate the point. But we do not like the word conformity. It's, um, it's not in our lexicon. Or at least we pride ourselves on not being conformed to anything. There is no more frequent trope in our culture than the trope of the rebellious hero who rebels, will not conform to everyone's expectations, everyone's tradition, everyone's rules. We play that over and over and over and over and over again, but we never really listen to our own stuff. Um, we say these things, but we really don't take them to heart. The second you get an independent-minded thinker actually say something, the culture that prides itself on being independent will give it a swift kick in the teeth. Paul is innocent of all of that. Be conformed to the image of Christ. Um, regarding masks, you may be used to hearing um, or using mask metaphor in a negative sense. You put on a mask and hide what's really going on there's a poem by Lawrence Dunbar, um, and I think it strikes this chord fairly well. We wear the mask that grins and lies. It hides our cheeks and shades our eyes. This debt we pay to human guile with torn and bleeding hearts, we smile and mouth with myriad subtleties. We, why should the world be otherwise in counting all our tears and sighs? Nay, let them only see us while we wear the mask. We smile, but, oh God, our cries to thee from tortured souls arise. We sing, but, oh, the clay is vile beneath our feet and long the mile, but let the world dream otherwise, for we wear the mask. Beautifully expressed, but here the mask is negative. There's another one. Uh, I remember hearing this when I was much younger. One night a poem came up to a poet. From now on it said, you must wear a mask. What kind of mask, asked the poet. A rose mask, said the poem. I've used it already, said the poet. I've exhausted it. It's cliche. Then wear the mask that's made out of a nightingale song. Use that mask. Oh, it's an old mask, said the poet. It's all used up, too. Nonsense, said the poem. It's the perfect mask. Still, try on the God mask. Now that mask illuminates heaven. Oh, it's a tight mask, said the poet, and the stars crawl about in it like ants. Then try on the troubadour's mask or the singer's mask. Try on all the popular masks. I have, said the poet, but they fit so easily. 
The palm was getting impatient. It stamped its feet like a child. It screamed, then try on your own face. Try the one mask that terrifies you. The mask only you could possibly use. The mask only you could wear out. The poet tore at his face till it bled. This mask, he yelled, this mask. Yes, said the poem, yes. But the poet was tired of masks. He had lived too long with them. He snatched at the poem and stuck it in his face. Its screams were muffled, it wept. It tried to be lyrical, it wriggled into his mouth and eyes. And next day, his friends were afraid of him. He looked so distorted. Now it's the right mask, said the poem, the right mask. It's clung to him lovingly and never let go again. I don't pretend to understand all of that. But I know here again, the mask is the artificial, hiding the genuine, the authentic. Hmm. But I want to speak of a different kind, the use of a mask, the formative use of a mask. For we are said, or we are commanded rather, to put on Christ. Um, when I was in high school, I took drama, and there was a little bit of history about drama. Um, goes way back, at least into the time of the ancient Greek tragedians. I remember being told about how the actor would come out on stage, and there would be a couple of masks for this one actor. There would only be one actor, but several masks. And he would play several parts, depending on what mask he held up. That was the persona he tried to manifest through the mask. And so you could speak of you could speak of a hero uh, dancing through the woods. Speak of him in the third person, but then you put on the mask of the hero, and now you no longer speak in the third person, but you would. You would speak in the first person, I. It's an, uh, the, the he becomes an I. There's this kind of transformation of identity through the use of a mask. And then I further learned, I further learned about the 19th century director of the Moscow Art and Theater. His name was Konstantin Sergeyevich Stanislavich. And he developed this idea this different philosophy of acting called method acting. And the idea was, you as an actor, when you come out on the stage, you are not supposed to just represent the character you're playing. In other words, in other words, this is about more than just repeating lines that you get from a script and then just wearing just the same clothes and having some of the same mannerisms. But it goes deeper than that. The best way, the best way to act a part is to consider the motives of the character. And then from the inside out, play that part. Um, this has been, uh, for better or worse, a, uh, a, a problem. There are lots and lots of actors who have played parts and then they stepped so deeply into the role that they were playing that they couldn't find their way out. 
they might, they might play a particular role and trying to establish and, and divine the motives of that character, they found that they couldn't hold this character at arm's length, but they had to open themselves up to the thoughts, the motives of the character, what makes him tick, and then play from the inside out. And then that character, if it's especially a villain or a troubled character, might follow you even when you're off stage. So when the curtain falls and you go off stage, if you really want to be a great character method actor, if you really want to be one of the great Shakespearean actors, you're going to have to allow that character not simply to be just something you play, but rather the mask needs to play you. You. There have been stories about men who've committed suicide playing a part that was a little too dark. Women who couldn't, who couldn't detach themselves and they would have interactions with their family off stage and the family would say, what happened to him? What happened to her? Where's she at? I can't find, it's, not, not like, it's like I'm not talking to her anymore. I'm talking to someone else. Hey, get a hold of yourself. It's fiction. This is real life. Come back. No luck. Sometimes you get into that. I remember also um, uh, when I was in my early 20s, I was asked to play um, the part of Jesus in an Easter play. Oh, boy. They gave me a lot of lines. And um, for the first time in my life, I really tried to think thoroughly. How would Jesus think in this scenario? What would he say? And I found that if I'm just quoting the lines and just trying to represent Jesus, that is, put the crown of thorns on my head, put the robe on so everyone knows I'm Jesus, what, if I'm really going to play this part well, though, I need to think off stage before the play. What would Jesus say in this situation? How would he react? And so I tried to become better at being like Jesus. I know that sounds odd to you. Because that's what we're all trying to do all of our lives as Christians. That's what we're supposed to be trying to do. But somehow this, this part in this play was a kind of revelation. I wanted to speak like him. I didn't want to just stand up there and represent him. I didn't want them just to think, Jesus, because I was wearing a crown upon my head. But what it, would it be like if they saw Jesus more deeply? What if some lost person came to this Easter play? And they saw, they saw the unfolding of the passion. And they didn't just see Jesus being represented up there, but Jesus in some way, shape, or form, his own image being up there. Might they, might they, might they have a revelation themselves? Masks, depending on which one you wear. Some are dear 
shape who you are. I think a hundred and some odd years ago that Oscar Wilde, you know, a, 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 a dead clock can tell the, the right time twice a day. And, and he said one or two things that I really got. One of them was, you are not who you are. You are who you pretend to be for long enough. And then he said, secondly, he said, if you ever want to know what a, a man really is, let him put on the mask he chooses, and then you'll get to know. You'll get to know pretty well. We have lots of masks in our culture. I think technology's become a kind of mask. It's become, a, 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 in some ways, a very dangerous form. It is shaping us. We're not shaping it. We are not playing technology. Technology's playing us. All those stories about technology coming to life, I think that was a kind of subconscious nightmare that our whole culture was having. And almost prophetic. Let's go back. We don't even have to come back into the age of the Internet. How about flashback 25 years ago, 25 years ago before the Internet invented Al Gore. And, and then... Consider the vehicle that we would all get in, drive down the highway. All right, you get on the highway and somebody cuts you off. All right, they're coming on the, they're coming on the ramp and they just kind of come around you and maybe they even slow down. People inside of cars do things they would never do in the grocery store line. They cut you off, give you a hand signal. Can you imagine doing that in the grocery store? It takes a particularly unbalanced human being to do that sort of thing. And one, and, and, and one I might add that is, 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 is a death wish. Um, but in a car where your name is not Jeremy Painter, but is 1476G, license plate, hey, no problem. There's a mask. And the mask comes on, you get into that car, that's your mask, and, and uh, we get to see. Well, well uh, oh, into the internet age, how about, how about YouTube? How about that? How about that monster? Okay, there's a technological mask. If you've ever had the misfortune of scrolling down to the comment section, you can post the most innocent thing. And if it has any reach outside of your friends at all, it won't be long before JRay7361 has become the tyrant. And the further you go down in the comments section, the worse the barnacles get. Seaweed and ook down there. It just gets gross and pretty soon you want to trash the whole thing. Uh, I almost feel like uh, where once we used to have our virtual selves were, were just uh, we were kind of detached from our virtual online presence. We had our virtual representation there. Our name, maybe our social security number, whatever. Maybe it's credit cards. We shop with it, whatever. But now I almost feel like our virtual selves are starting, are starting to play us a little bit, and and and, and something's happening. Something's happening, and and it's it's in the church too. 
especially in the church too. We have to be very, very careful, very careful. Well, well, the mask. That's some of its more destructive uses, but but uh, I also was given years of piano lessons when I was a child. And uh, I had stones for fingers. And the brain just wouldn't. There was no, like, there was, there was no, the hemispheres were completely separated. I had way too good a focus to be a good pianist in, in the sense that I, I, I couldn't seem to cross over something. And uh, I remember the teacher, though, at one point, he put his hand over the top of my hand and said, okay, now just loosen your fingers and let me play. And then there was music. It was amazing. And the more you act and practice, the, uh, the, the ways of the master, the more you start playing like the masterpiece. You don't want just Jeremy Painter to go over there and sit down on the piano and start playing. The authentic me can't make music. But the mask formed by the teachers and all the practice, then it can make music. Our culture loves, loves to talk about authenticity all the time. Be authentic. Be who you are. You do you. Um, mm, uh-uh. No, you don't want authentic me. I was born in sin, shapen in iniquity. My righteousness is but filthy rags. The heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? I better put on some mask somewhere along the way. In fact, I get I get a, a real tickle out of the uh, uh, the uh, use of Shakespeare for wisdom. And one of one particularly egregious case of this is the saying, "To thine own self be true." At my graduation, the valedictorian stood up. And that was the title of his cliched talk. To thine own self be true. And then the principal of the school got up afterwards and echoed the sentiment. Be true. You know what? See, here's the thing. A. Shakespeare gave this line to his shallowest character. Polonius, who by the end of the play has lost a daughter to suicide and a son who has killed the hero. You don't say to thine own self be true without being an idiot in the Shakespeare world. 
that is, that is the philosophy of fools. Mm -mm. What in the world do you think was going on in 2008 and 2009 when we had, when we had bankers and Ponzi schemers? Uh, they were unmasked, weren't they? In a sense, we, we, we saw that they were, they were uh, sipping $10,000 bottles of vodka on their 25 or 45 foot yacht in the Bahamas while there were people like you and me with our retirement savings down to zero. And they're living off of it. What in the world do you think they were doing? They were being true to themselves. They were being true to themselves. Every time you see a sin, every time you know of a sin that's committed, it's somebody being true to themselves. The last thing you want to tell a group of graduates is, to thine own self be true. That's the last thing. Man, he sure is pessimistic about the human being. Haven't you, haven't you read history? I, do you not? What, where have you been for the last 20 years? I think I have all the testimony we need on my side. I think so. I think so. All right. All right. But then there were some forms of grace that came along in my life. One of the greatest ones was being called dad. I became a father when I was 21. I thought that when I became 21, you know, when I was a little kid, I thought when I get to 21, I am going to know things. <laughs> I really thought, you know, all those, the, the, those answers to questions I'm going to know the answers to those questions. And I would ask my parents questions, these imponderable questions, and, and, uh, and sometimes they would just resort to, well, that's just the way it is, or just because, or something along those lines. In other words, you've asked either too many questions or too many questions I don't know the answer to myself, but I didn't know that back then. I thought I was just annoying them. And so I would shut it down. But when I get to be 21, I'm going to step over this threshold. I'll be married 21 and then maybe even a father. And I'm going to know things. And then I became 21. And I found out that I was just as ignorant as ever I was. I didn't know anything. And now I've got a baby who, when he starts to learn to talk, is asking me those questions. And I wondered if, well, maybe adulthood is just mythology. I don't know if it really exists. <laughs> Nevertheless, here is my son asking me these questions. Um, I might have, I might have, if you if you've, uh, if I've spent any time talking to you or if you know anything about my background, 
when I left Bible college at the age of 19, I, um, I got married like one month later. And um, dad said, you aren't living at home and uh, you need to have a job. So I went out job searching and it wasn't working. So he said, okay, you've tried. Um, here's a job. Guess what my job was? I got to be an assistant manager at a Burger King. Now I can support my wife and myself. I can pay rent. I can put gas in the car. Very good. I thought this was a short-term thing. I was going to be in this for maybe a year. But one year turned into two years. And two years turned into four years. And pretty soon, I was making a little bit too much money to start out on the bottom. And I had three kids now. I had... I made a little too much to change careers without risking my family. So now I'm in it six years. I'm almost, well, I am in my mid-20s now. And the most important thing that I do every day at work is ask somebody if they want ketchup with their fries. <laughs> and if they would like to go large or if there's any cheese that they would like on their, on their, on their meal. day after day, day after day. I've got these three kids and we put them in the car, buckle them up, and we go to the park and for a couple of hours we ride on the swings, we get on the merry-go-round, we throw rocks into the Puget Sound. We laugh and we joke, but I know that it's all about to come to an end because I'm the closer and I've got to be in at 3 o'clock and I'll be there till three in the morning. And we, 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 we all pile back into that car at about 2.30. And we drive back. And my stagecoach turns back into a pumpkin. And I get out of the car and I say goodbye. I'll see you tomorrow morning. And I go behind that counter with my uniform on. And I start to ask those important questions. And there's no end. I can't get out of this. And then one day, one day, all of the wives and mothers conspire at church on a Sunday morning on Father's Day to have all of the little boys in the church dress up like their fathers, what they do for a living. I didn't know about this, or I'd have put a stop to it. <laughs> or at least my attendance there, maybe. But I was sitting there, I was sitting there, and then I was asked to do a little emceeing, and I, I said, all right, now the children have a presentation for all the fathers, and I went and sat down. I didn't know what the presentation was. I sat down. And all the little boys come out. One of them's dressed in a three-piece suit. Dad's a businessman. The next one's dressed in construction clothes. He's got the great big suspenders. He's got the great big fluorescent hat and vest. The next one comes out. He's wearing a police uniform because his dad's a police officer. And so he walks like this because he's got to get those arms around the, the gun belt, you know, 
and it's, he's just real proud and really excited to be like his dad. He's wearing a little kid police uniform. Next one comes up. Next one comes up. There's a security guard wearing a white security coat. And I started to figure out what was about to happen. No, 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 no. See, I, I didn't know this then, but I learned a lot working behind a fast food counter. I, ne- I, I've been, I went to university for 15 years, and I never learned as much about people as I did in those six or seven years behind the Burger King counter. I learned a lot about people back there. I didn't know it then, but anyway, I was deeply ashamed that I was handing an inheritance to my children of fast food. I could hardly bear this, and why would anyone want to flaunt this on a Sunday morning in front of me? If my kid had any sense, he'd dig a hole in the ground and crawl in it. You know, these are the dumb thoughts that are going through my head. Betty wishes he had a different dad. I slid down a little bit in the seat because my boy was about to walk out, but I kept my eyes open. And I watched. And he took, my wife rather, took my Burger King uniform, not the kid version, my uniform, all six foot two on that little five-year-old boy. My pants rolled them up to the knees. My shirt rolled up to the shoulders practically. Put on my tie. He walked up. Do you think he hung his head? Oh, no. No, not Ethan Painter. Not Ethan Painter. He walked with his head held high. And he was looking down his nose at people. (laughs) At all these little businessmen. And all these little police officers and presidents of the United States. For my dad works at Burger King. He gives whoppers and fries and he makes shakes for people. I mean, what could be better? (laughs) Nobody gives as much joy as my dad. (laughs) He's striding up there. He's strutting like a peacock. And he strides across the stage. And he takes two trips across the stage just to make sure everybody's got it. And by the time he knows everybody's got it, he locks in place like one of those British soldiers outside at the Buckingham Palace. And there he stands and salutes the audience. (laughs) And you know what? There was a grace note in there because he did something that I didn't even do. He put on something I never wore. He put on a Burger King crown. Because he wanted to out-dad dad. He wanted to be more Jeremy Painter than Jeremy Painter. And now I have somebody, I have somebody in my life who's calling me dad. And what should I do? Say, I'm sorry, son. I'm just going to be the real me. 
my faithless flesh me. I'm going to be my unsteady and wavering me. I'm going to be my double-minded me. What should I do? Should I say to mine own self be true? Son, I'm sorry. These were in the cards. This was the lottery card that you got. A flawed father. Unsteady. Ignorant. Should I give him that? Or did I let him put his dad mask on my face? And say, you made this mask to me, family. And now you made this mask for me. And now I'm going to live up to it until it is me. Until I am the faithful man that you believe me to be. I'm going to be faithful if it means dragging this flesh out of bed. I know, I know so many of you, because we, we, we live and believe the truth, and we're surrounded by so many good people, and we're in good places, like the one we're in this morning. I know you have been tempted by these words before. There's been a whisper in your ear that said, you know what? Stop putting on this act. You're not holy. You're not the goody two-shoes that everybody thinks you are. You stop putting on this show for everybody, you hypocrite. No, let me tell you something, enemy. The hypocrite is not the one who tries to become holy. It is the one who looks holy but has no intention of becoming holy. None. The hypocrite has no intention of changing or becoming the man that God called him to be. That's what the hypocrite is. So you rebuke that enemy in the name of Jesus Christ and be conformed to the image of God. You put on this mask, whatever good and noble mask your family forms for you or your church forms for you, you put it on. You put it on and do not hesitate. You put it on. It might be 9,000 miles between you and reality, the real you and that mask you're wearing, but you put it on faithfully every single day. You don't skip a day. You do it every day, every day for the rest of your life, and then one day, be what you pretended to be. You have been called into an Easter play. You have been called to play the part of Jesus. Now this isn't just about representing him or just wearing his clothes or putting on a fake crown. This is about the kinds of things he did and said. I watch my son strutting across that stage. 
with his million megawatt smile. I had a revelation. And I saw in my mind's eye the Lord Jesus Christ leaning out over the balcony of heaven and looking down at all those apostolics that are wearing his clothes. Rolled up to the knees because they don't fit yet. Wearing his crown. Wearing his humble clothes. Forgiving the unforgivable. Loving the unlovable. Rejoicing when we are persecuted. Laughed at, made fun of. Wear those clothes. It's Father's Day. Put them on. story. One of the many stories that came from World War II. Out of the archives, there's, there's, there's a record of when the Third Reich had pretty much emptied out any Italian resistance in Italy. Benito Mussolini had proved at this point in World War II to be all but useless. And so, Hitler felt there needed to be a stronger hand in Germany itself. And there was one thorn in the side of the German occupation of the government of Italy, and that was the name of an Italian underground. A resistance had formed that was seeking to overthrow the Third Reich from within Italy itself. And the Third Reich had suffered many losses, even some great battles because of the Italian underground. And so, the Third Reich was assigned with the task of deceiving the Italian underground. And here is how it unfolded. According to the records, a certain pickpocket in one of uh, Napoli's piazzas having been caught red-handed with taking money from people. A couple of Nazi collaborators pulled him into an alley and said, we've seen what you've done and under our regime this is death. You can die or do exactly what we tell you to do. And the pickpocket decided he's going to do what he was told to do. But here was the mission. We are going to send you into the prison system where most of our captured Italian underground members reside. And they know where the members of the resistance that are still free are, where the pockets are, 
and what inf how they pass their information, et cetera. We want you to go down there and get information from them for us. In order to do so, you're going to have to be trusted by them, and therefore, we are going to give you, we're going to give you a uniform. We're going to give you a whole new identity, and your identity is going to be General Della Rovera. And before you go into the prison system, we're going to be spreading some rumors around through the guards that the great General Della Rovere is leading the resistance and heroically and bravely doing outstanding things in the world above. So when you get down there, they're all going to know who General Della Rovere is. And here's the thing. You need to make sure you talk like him, like a general not somebody raised to be a pickpocket. We're going to need you to have some manners. We're going to need you to resemble the upper class. We're going to need you to have a couple of weeks of intensive training. We've seen how smart you are, so we know you can do this. You're going to learn battle plans. You're going to learn all the lingo. And down you go. And so he went through the regimen, and then he went into the underground. And he started spreading his story with his cellmates. And pretty soon the cellmates started spreading it with other cellmates until the whole prison system was aware of somebody named General Della Rovere right there in the prison cell over there. And pretty soon the guards gave him freedom to be able to walk between the cells. And so he would go into those cells and he would, he would shake or he would, he would take the shaking hand of a mother who was afraid for her children calm her down and say it's going to be okay. He would come over to the dying old man and put his hand upon his head and say, this evil shall not last. Great things are happening in the world above. This is just the fingernail of a greater movement. And pretty soon the people fell in love with him. And the people would say, without you we would have no hope. You are our inspiration. Every time General Della Rovere would walk past the cell, the people would salute him. And he gave them a reason to go on and go on and go on. And now he's down there for three months, and they pull him up out of the prison system, supposedly to execute him. And they put him in the interrogation room. And they take a couple of pieces of paper and a pencil, and they slide it across the desk, to him and say, write down names, places, events, everything, everything, write it down. The old pickpocket looked down at the piece of paper and the pencil. The Third Reich didn't know what it had on its hands now. Or the pickpocket looked back up square in the Nazi's eye and said, no. And he pushed it back. One guard cocked his gun. And the other guard who was seated slid it back across the table and said, you have till two to begin writing. He looked down at that paper and pencil again and regarded it 
eins, zwei. And he opened his mouth fraction of an inch. And he said, long live Italia. That man slumped over there on that desk in a pool of blood. Who is he? The pickpocket of Napoli or General Della Croce? respects a blank slate you have no real identity you have no real face yet spiritually speaking you are faceless people come along and tell you to be you but you don't know what that means because even when you're 60 you don't know what that means and really all there is to us, is all of the parts we choose to play. We end up becoming a mosaic of all the choices, a kind of collage of all the different people that we have imitated. And if you go beyond that imitation, there's hardly anything there. And the only thing that may be authentically you is what you choose, what mask you choose to wear. And so here we are, mostly faceless faces. Your identities are not yet formed. You are wearing a mask, somebody's. Which will you choose? Which mask? The one the world dawns upon you? It shall be that the day arrives and we will stand in glory. And out of the light walks Christ himself. And then he will stand before me. And I will see that face I've longed to see. And he will reach up with his hand. And he will take off the mask that I wore the mask that he gave me in baptism. In Jesus' name, amen. Beloved, we are all God's children. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But when we see him, 
we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone that has this hope within himself purifies himself even as he is purified. And we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as the spirit of the Lord. The face that will stare back at the Lord will be his own. You be not, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be changed into that same image from glory to glory. For those whom he did predestinate, he also called. And those whom he called, he also, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. sometimes to hear these great titles that people call you. But by the Spirit of the Lord determined to become conformed to the image of God's Son. Do not let this pull you back. Do not withdraw, but march forward deeper and deeper into the role. And one day, up here, there's only one mask, the mask of the Son of God. Put on Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are new. Come to the altar. Come and get a hold of the Lord. Put on that mask. Lord, who art always more ready to hear than we are to pray, more ready to give than we are to receive, I pray for this congregation. I pray for this body. In our weakness, Lord, in our weakness, the enemy whispers to us. But through your apostle, Paul, you tell us this day and every day that we are to be conformed to your image. Lord, I repent of this misguided quest for 
my own inner authenticity. your thoughts be my thoughts your loves be my loves This work is done not by your own work, but by his spirit. Cry out to him. Cry out to him. 